Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food. And this week, in the second of a special series this summer, I'm talking about morning telly, mothers and matrescents with Shivi Ravita. My constant thought is, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? And I don't think that ever goes. And she said, well, that's just being a mum. I don't think that will ever, ever leave you. Shivi is the Caribbean queen of morning TV. She's the chef on Oji Mabuse's breakfast show, Garraway's Good Stuff. And she's cooked with the Kemp's on Martin and Roman's Weekend Best. She's a regular guest on BBC Saturday Kitchen and ITV's This Morning. Her latest book, Cook Clever, is packed with cook hacks. Oh, and she's a mother to seven and four-year-olds and a nine-month-old baby. In this series on matrescence, we want to explode the word into the national conversation to describe the process of mothering that never stops. It's estimated that perinatal mental health problems alone cost the NHS and social services around £1.2 billion annually. So Shivi was only too ready to share her journey so far. But first I asked her if Cook Clever was about showing people who might be a little daunted by making something that looks complicated a really simple way in. That's exactly it. I mean, it's, it's you know, I think this book has... Um is on track with where I am in my life currently. And obviously I've gone from the first book where I was footloose, fancy free, no children. I wasn't married yet. It was just simple. I had hours and hours to slave over the stove and throw myself into exciting different recipes. And with each book that sort of come along, it's become a little bit more, um, you know, what's the phrase, Uh, time strapped. You know, you want to prepare something that's delicious, um, full of goodness, but there's hardly any time. And, you know, I don't, I'm not able to always focus and throw all my energy into the meal. There's like a lot of people across the nation that are trying to do other things and still trying to put a nice meal on the table. So the idea of Cook Clever is to still give those flavors and the exciting um the exciting adventures that food brings, but in a very simple um, way using shortcuts. Um, and it just so happens that if if you, you know, if, if maybe you're a little bit nervous about, for example, cooking rice, which I know even the most excitingly adventurous chefs can still sometimes be foxed by the idea of cooking perfect rice, there are little shortcuts, there are ways that you shouldn't feel guilty about succumbing to. I'd say, yeah, go on, give us the give us the shortcut on rice then. Microwave rice. There is no problem with it. And, you know, I know a lot of caterers and chefs who would have that to hand. You know, they've just spent hours making the most wonderful meals to feed the guests. And for a quick fix for themselves, they'd grab a microwave rice, bung it in the microwave. And in that time, they're whipping up a sauce with a jar and whatnot. I think it's a lot about not turning a blind eye, but, you know, allowing yourself to use some of these shortcuts. And not all of them are great, but there's some fantastic ones that are absolutely worthwhile. And we are talking about cheats here. Cheats. We are talking about pouches. Yes. We? we are talking about things that you buy on the supermarket shelves. It's almost illegal to be talking about this on cooking. I, I have to I say. Feel, I feel terrible. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm so I'm mortified to talk about this. And it's terrible that I feel that the sense of mortification, really. Well, no, no, Sue, so you should. It's plastic and it's absolutely unforgivable. But the point is here is that, you know, you have done all these recipes to make it super, super mm. easy for a lot of people who don't cook. And that's why we're talking to you today. Um, and we're also going to, to talk to you about matrescence. Uh, you've got three wildlings, as you call them. I'm very interested in that term. Um, so we want to know where you're at with your matrescence. Mm-hmm. So all of that we're going to be talking about today. Let's 
talk about Cook Clever. Mm. Now, obviously, you've started Cook Clever because you now have a, a you're, you're juggling lots of plates. Mm-hmm. Because you were the Caribbean queen. That's what you were all about on telly now. Are you now the Caribbean cooking clever queen or are you just about cooking clever on telly? No, I think the Caribbean part is, is, is me. That's never going to disappear. And even with Cook Clever, I always come back to these big flavours. There's always a Caribbean nod um, in a lot of the recipes. And actually, Caribbean food, as I've, you know, I always say, it really is about world cuisine because it is the for me the ultimate place of fusion food and you know I funnily enough I um did a 23 and me for other reasons on my son the other day and um it brought up a map of his DNA and you know it was unbelievable it was literally the history of the Caribbean other than the some of the European side that comes from his father it was the history of the Caribbean in that map and that's the food wow. that the, the the indian the african the portuguese yeah. the european the the indigenous elements so for me you know i i i throw myself into world food because it's very much what i'm about who i am um yeah so that element is still very important but now i just happen to have to also cook clever because i don't have those hours anymore well, I would love to read that book. Oh my God, you know, my son's DNA. I mean, because that is, you're absolutely right. And we've, we've done a lot of um, books recently about, you know, the backstory mm-hmm. of the Caribbean, um, with Melissa Thompson yes. and Riaz Phillips and it's these secret kitchens, these, uh, the, the stuff that we don't know. And of course, it's about a history of colonization mm-hmm. and, uh, influence from all sorts of different cultures. So yeah, no, do that one, please. <laughs> um, in the meantime, um, it is really important what you're doing on, on, on television. You are teaching people how to cook. When you do a book like Cook Clever, are you thinking of those people who do not mm-hmm. still? How do you visualise what they can do and what they can't do? So for me, I think my biggest aim with, with, with this book and with what I do on TV is, you know, any meal cooked in the kitchen is a win. If it starts with microwave rice and eventually it it progresses to cooking rice, brilliant. But the idea of somebody just boiling pasta and opening a jar and grating cheese, if the alternative would have been to buy something, deliver something, that is a little step in the right direction. It's just for me about building confidence. And I think the book really is about finding ways, you know, they talk a lot about knife skills, that if you have them, brilliant. And knife skills are extremely important in the kitchen however it should not be a barrier to you going into the kitchen in the first place if you can't chop which so many people can't it's okay you know start with a grater start with um using scissors to snip and eventually that confidence will then bring in the knife and whatnot so it is very much um being wary of 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 how i'm presenting things but um but but in a way that i'm any any meal that somebody can cook in the kitchen if they wouldn't have made something before is a win, you know, so that really is it. And whilst I'm not at that level, I still uh, embrace with open arms the grating and the snipping because it just means that I can multitask in a safer way, in a quicker way than just simply, you know, making meals purely from scratch, which I would do on the weekend. So there is also a time and place for this kind of cooking. And what kind of feedback do you get on your social media when people are trying recipes out? Uh, 
you know, where do the cheats, where does the kind of the cutting the corners, where does that really help people? Do you get a sense of that? From I do. Question? And I do put it out there. And sometimes I'm extremely nervous. I did I did a whole um, reel. I'm terrible at reels. I think it's a reel. It's either a reel or a video post. Um, but it was about using jarred peppers. So the jarred roasted peppers that are ready roasted. Um, they're one of my favorite cheats. And I just sort of set up a little um, question, you know, saying, do you use convenient you know, what's the, 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 the convenient ingredient that you use that makes you feel a bit squirmish, a bit embarrassed to mention? And so many people said, yes, I use jarred peppers or I use ready chopped onions or the, the microwave rice, I have to say, is actually a very common one. So, you know, it, it does open up a lot of discussion and I, I'm, I'm as real as I can be about it. You know, if I'm doing events or if I'm doing um, a, a supper club, of course, I'm not going to use microwave rice for you. But you know, midweek, if I don't have rice in the freezer, I will not be ashamed. And it's taken me a long time to build, to, to, to work out the shame here, to, to work past the shame and say, I will buy that microwave rice. I will open that jar of pesto. I'm surprised. I mean, you do talk about how snobby we are about shortcuts, but actually I would have thought that those examples are something that everybody would use. I certainly do, you know, jar of pesto. Um, I also make my own pesto, but, you know, and I also use a jar of bell peppers. But what I wouldn't use and what I was surprised that you used is, you know, a plastic bag of ready chopped onions. Because by the time you've been to the supermarket to buy them Mm. and you're worried about how on earth you're going to recycle that properly, you can have watched a a YouTube on how to chop an onion. and you know, and I make a really big point of this in the introduction. So I actually personally haven't used the frozen onions of chopped onions. My shortcut would be using spring onions in certain dishes right. or using baby yes. onions. And this is, but again, I try not to draw judgment because there are some people who, if that is what they go to, that is absolutely fine. I'm not going to be somebody who says you should not do this because I think yeah. I, I don't want to shame anybody for making any attempt to be cooking in the kitchen because my what I all I want to do is get more people in the kitchen and enjoying the cooking of the process of making a meal for whatever family they have, whether it's them and their dog, their husband, their children. So I never want to shame anybody, but I have set it out that for me, I think spring onions in certain situations are a perfect substitute for onions. Obviously, with Indian cooking or certain cuisines, you really want the the caramelization, the browning of the onion. However, it is up to you to you to find your way. I'm literally in the middle of editing the latest episode of the Food Foundation podcast and I've just been talking to a, a single mum with a one-year-old baby mm. and she's just moved into a housing association flat and she hasn't got an oven and she's got a microwave and that's the best that she can do apart from a Nutribullet and you know we've just been talking about how actually you feed a one-year-old mm-hmm. uh, healthily with such limited um, you know appliances mm-hmm. even so yeah we know there are a lot of lot of issues out there and there's absolutely no shaming in in cutting corners um let's start going through some of your um really interesting food moments um i was interested in what you said about fusion Mm -hmm. i spotted your fusion all the way through and your fusion cheats is your first um food moments the corn dumpling soup and it's a trini dumpling with packet gnocchi oh no it's something that my mum my mum would literally (laughs) just be what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) she's my biggest fan but also my harshest critic but then I'd give it to her to try and she said you know okay I can see it you know it it, it was a I I do have to try a lot of recipes on her because she is brutally honest and then it's all about weighing up the fact that actually to make the dumpling the mess the 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 weighing all of that feel 
and you just buy a packet of gnocchi and it, in it goes. It does the same job. And again, it's not going to be the stuff that I serve at a supper club. But in that moment in time, I can give my children food and give my husband food and enjoy it myself and still get that feeling, that nostalgic food moment that I would do where I'm making the whole thing from scratch. Yeah, I mean, that's what the point is, isn't mm-hmm. it? It's making culturally appropriate food or or t- teaching your kids to really understand some of the sense of, of Trinidadian food, yes. for example. Um, I mean, you also talk about Mumbai roasted potatoes and micros that bibimbap being, being some of your favourites. Tell us about those. So again, you know, this is... And I'm, I'm always very conscious of saying that this is my loving nod to that dish. There is not a single ounce of authenticity in these recipes. I will be kicked out of any place I go to visit saying this is my, my um, it's, it's just my take on it. And it's again using flavours from Mumbai or from, um, you know, uh, uh, Korea with those flavours and using them in a way that is similar to those well-loved dishes, but in moments like the micro zap bibimbap. I love a pun. I love a rhyme, as you probably pick up through the the book. <laughs> that is one of my favourite dishes. And it's, you know, you, I use gochujang there, which you now can find everywhere. Um, you know, my local Tesco metro, they have the little jars of Tesco own brand gochujang, um, which is great because I think it's making it more accessible for everybody. And it is yeah. so simple. Um, and it's, as I said, it's by no means the long hard slog of the bibimbap the the love and the all the different ingredients that go into it but it does the job it gives you that feeling of oh this is different this is exciting and i was able to prepare it using a microwave and a pan just to cook the beef if you wanted to do that or not so it's about you know hopefully i'm trying to sort of bring those exciting um flavors uh, uh as lovingly nodding you know as never authenticity in these you know i'm very wary of 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 um, the cultural appropriation element, but making them just easily accessible and something that can whisk people away without lifting a finger, really. Yeah. I mean, you know, the whole thing about cultural appropriation, if you take a country like Trinidad mm. and Tobago, you know, there are so many cultural influences in there anyway. Mm-hmm. So you can you kind of give them a bit of permission to play around with your flavours. Absolutely. You? And I think it is really difficult because I, 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 when I talk about cultural appropriation from personal point of view, we've the, the food that's become loved in Trinidad and some of our national dishes have purely come to chance because of cultural appropriation. You know, we have pelau, which is um, an Iranian-inspired dish. Um, our Jamaican patties, that, and now, of course, that's um, Jamaican, but I always love using this. It's always shocking when I say that actually that's been inspired by Cornish pasties you know it's it's the beautiful fusion it can be looked at in another way it's a fusion of these stunning cultures that have created this food and obviously there's a lot of heartbreak and a lot of um of 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 terrible things that have happened um from where we're from the caribbean that has that you know and the food represents some of that as well so i think it's it can be very emotive can't it well, it's about story, mm-hmm. isn't it? And as long as we tell those stories and we understand and we use those stories to to explain what food is and where it comes from, I, I, I think it's endlessly interesting. Um, you use meal mathematics and your second food moment is take a tin of beans. And I did this just now for lunch, actually, mm-hmm. um, just to see how super easy <laughs> it is, of course it is. Um, I had black beans oh. strangely I, I i don't actually buy black beans but my daughter likes making burgers out of black beans so i use those uh in in this second food moment tell us tell us about why you're using mathematics with a bit tin of beans so the whole meal mathematics chapter and the tin of the tin of the take a tin of beans epitomizes this really is about um a lot of store cupboard staples and leftovers and odds and ends that 
are very commonplace. Things like you find a tin of beans in your cupboard, whether it's baked beans, cannellini, black beans, kidney beans, you can always make a meal out of it and make that the star of the meal. And the idea is that you chop and change elements. Um, you have different um, flavors. So whether you use flavor pastes, you have textures, whether you use, um, you know, uh, crunchy nut toppings, seed toppings, um, uh, fresh herbs with those elements and it always reminds me of Otto Lenghi because I find that's the, that's his signature right you go into an Otto Lenghi deli and you the colour you get the texture the flavours so that is a lot of inspiration for this chapter in the sense that you can chop and change and you can find a bit of these elements the flavour the texture the um, the um, the freshness and you put them together and hopefully I've given you enough options there that you will be able to make a meal out of the bits you have in your home, um, in your kitchen. And um, it's satisfying, it's delicious and exciting and it's never the same the next time round because you can change, change something up or maybe you don't have an ingredient that you did last time. And you've got lots of diagrams in there. It does make you look like a scientist, <laughs> um, which is great. But, but, but the bottom line is take a bit of this, take mm-hmm. a bit of that and you can't go wrong. Well, exactly. Um, and it is exactly what you were just saying, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of the, 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 the taking uh, texture, flavour and crunch. I mean, mm-hmm. so many writers who I've interviewed on this show over the last three years have said that in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. But it is the, the absolute key to having something amazing on your plate, isn't it? Something that it's the great. ultimate meal mathematics really isn't it and i i kind of feel that with underneath the cook clever heading again it's 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 bolstering confidence in the kitchen so if you use that that formula then slowly you can step away from needing the book and you remember oh these are the elements i need so again every little recipe and every part of the book is just to keep bolstering confidence and making life easy hopefully it achieves all of that Exactly. And flavour can come from the dollop. Always have a dollop. And that is generally a sauce or just mm-hmm. a, a, something, a bit of colour. It might be a pesto oh, or something I love like it. that. Or harissa or something. Just a dollop. Um, rubble trouble. One more of your little lines <laughs> here. Um, <laughs> third food moment. Tell us about this one. So again, in this similar kind of setup, these are four simple recipes. And one of my favourites, I'm obsessed with it, is the fried herby capers. So again, mm. the idea here is... I will happily open that jar of pesto, chuck in that pasta, let it boil and mix the two together. And just to make it feel that I've given that extra little bit of love and I've given it something of myself, I would throw over the crispy capers or the lemon chorizo crumb. And that on top of a basic sandwich or salad just adds the pizzazz, just takes it, Mm. elevates it to a different level. And um, it makes me feel less guilty for having opened that jar of pesto, having bought that sandwich, which we all still do, you know, then it's I'm fine. Surprised that's the second time you've mentioned guilt and shame around a jar, jar of pesto. I'm worried about your relationship with a jar of pesto. <laughs> do you know what it was? I think there's been such, and it's different, and it is different, but I was fed so much, especially during um, COVID, this making your own, this everything done from scratch is always better. So there's so much for me of overcoming that. And I think writing this book, it should have been that sort of breakthrough. And it is. And I'm still amazing that I am still convincing myself that it is okay. It's absolutely fine. Obviously, it's clearly a big thing in my past, right? <laughs> <laughs> clearly. I mean, I think 
think it's fine as long as there are no, you know, health claims or there's not mm-hmm. extra salt or sugar mm-hmm. in there. I mean, you know, just learn to read the jars and don't trust the retailers who are telling you that something is super healthy. But a jar of pesto is all right. Absolutely. It? And, you know, I talk about using, um, having in your freezer ready to go gyoza dumplings and lots of different basic bits and bobs. And I always, and I have made a point to say, do check the ingredients and as long as it's for you, as natural as possible, not with too many addi- additives and, yeah. you know, OTT sugar and salt and whatnot, then great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, a ro- the role of the TV chef in Instagram is actually about making something super easy and mm-hmm. looking really good. And your instant crumbing technique is, again, a way of elevating something simple, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's your fourth food moment. Tell us how, why you chose this one and also... Um, how that kind of works in your Instagram focus, because of course it must be, because your publisher would be banging on your door to make sure that you were doing just that. I think there are not many people who really would say no to a crispy bit of chicken or a crispy bit of fish. There is something so pleasurable about biting into something crunchy. And the process of crumbing or panning for the official word, you know, the, the, the um, flour, egg, breadcrumb, it's so faffy. It's just, it's just, you know, you can look at it as a meditative moment, but actually in real life, especially with a crazy household, I just don't have the time for that. So this instant crumbing technique um, by way of just using a greaseproof paper, uh, your chicken or your fish, um, the, the breadcrumbs sprinkled over it and the other side of the greaseproof paper just pounded just gently with the um, a rolling pin or your hand it does the job absolutely brilliantly yes it's not quite to the level of the crumb of the panade version however it ticks the box and it's yeah. cr- crispy and it's wonderful and it's so i wouldn't say fully mess free but it's minimal mess you get a bit of greaseproof paper with the crumb on it and that just goes straight into the recycling bin once you've rinsed it that's it it's yeah. done you know, and it's just easy. It's much easier because I find a lot of the time if I've done, so in the past I did a katsu curry um, and the katsu, I'd have people saying, oh, this is great, but I can't be bothered to do the, can I use ready-made chicken nuggets from the supermarket? Yes, you can do that. But also this is a very quick and easy way to do it. And it works so well with fish, as I said. And it's, um, yeah, it's again, a very simple way to achieve something that may be a little bit more far reaching for, for some people. Well, and also uses our leftover breadcrumbs. I mean, you've always got a bit of a heel of a, a piece of bread or something, you know. Yes. Like most people in the world, certainly all the the Europeans, use it. You know, let it let it stale, mm-hmm. uh, let it go stale, and then just blitz it, it up with a yeah, absolutely yeah. blitz it up, and there it is. There's your breadcrumbs. So that's a really good way of teaching people to not waste, reminding people about you know how easy it is and cheap to to use your leftovers um, and avoid waste. Absolutely, and with breadcrumbs, always you know you, you I tend to blitz up loads and freeze it as well. It's always good to have it in the freezer before it goes okay. off. Yeah, another top tip: batch cooking. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Now you've made lots of references to to you know the mad chaos of being a mum of three kids and juggling lots of plates. How are you getting on with your matrescence? This is a word that is about process, and the idea of it is to you know kind of like adolescence. People understand that it takes a long time to become an mm-hmm. adult. Um, what about being becoming a mother? Where are you at? Um, oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, every day I question myself. Like my mum, I was in the studio yesterday, and so my mum, my wonderful mum, comes and looks after, um, helps look after the children um, when I'm not here. And we were talking this morning, and she was just saying, talking about my eldest, 
Um, and I was just saying, oh, every day though, there's something new that's thrown your way. And my constant thought is, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? And I don't think that ever goes. And she said, well, that's just being a mum. I don't think that will ever ever leave you so I kind of feel I'm on at at the start of what I hope will be a very 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 long path of trying to understand what being a mother means I mean it's it's what is it it's you're you're, you need to be there for your children but you also what I'm struggling with at the moment is finding my own space as well aside from work because obviously I leave to go to work but there's a space in my head where I find it very difficult and I think it must be the same for every mother of having a moment where you are not fully uh, you know thinking about your children and I think it's it's healthy to have that moment for yourself as well I think that's you know what do they say you need your cup to be full before you can give yeah and you know I think a lot of women feel guilty about that because you know I should always be thinking about my children it's that airline thing, isn't it? You know, put your own oxygen mask on first. Yes. I when my kids were tiny, I was thinking, really? That's just completely unintuitive. Mm. But it, but you're absolutely right. What do you do? How old are your kids? So I've got seven, four and um, just nine months. Oh my I know. So as as we're speaking, your 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 baby is asleep. Yes. Your your four and seven presumably. Well, where are they? So they're at um they're at a drama camp today. Drama camp this week. So the the key is for summer, and we're around for most of summer in um uh, at home. Uh, is just activities, activities, activities. I mean, we do allow ourselves as long as they're out in the morning and they come back late afternoon. I think it is important for children to understand boredom and how to be um, resourceful. Yeah. I think that is really important. But otherwise get go play football go to drama (laughs) go swimming do as much as you get to the park you know and then can you give yourself permission shivy to have some time for yourself or do you just go straight into cleaning the house and and sorting out the admin i haven't so i'm still this is a really big part of it for me i haven't found that guilt-free everything i do if i get a cup of tea with a biscuit it's let's put the washing in, all right, let's think about what's happening later. I haven't quite got that balance of, and I'm working on it because the fact that I mentioned the whole thing about trying to fill my own cup, I'm trying to work out how to do that. I know I understand right now, especially with the little, little one, it's very difficult to do that for myself. However, what I've started understanding with the children and, and in a form of accepting um, my children for who they are, and they're all very different. And, you know, I think my generation and as generations go on it changes but I was very much in a place where not children are seen and not heard but it was a little bit more these are the way things are done and particularly um, being raised in a Trinidadian household where you know things are things are tough you know and my parents are we're constantly thinking of how to make things better for us. And the whole move to the UK, when we moved, it was all for us. And my parents sacrificed so much for me and my sisters. And, um, you know, and I see it. And I think that's an element of my guilt in the sense that this generation is different. We are, I don't want to say more selfish, but we are a bit more selfish or, you know, we are more aware of the importance of the self-care element, which I know for my parents, that was not a thing. Um, And it is important, but with that comes so much guilt for me as well, understanding that balance that I was used to my parents literally throwing everything they could to, 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 to help my sisters and I and help us find the right path and whatnot. And I'm just at crossroads, you know, how much do I throw myself in? How much do I believe in faith that you give them what you can and they will find the tools, which I think is very important. You know, you want to build resilient children who can manage and be themselves and 
you know, also was brought up in a in a time where options in life was a lawyer, a doctor, and accountants. That was always the holy trinity. That is your options. That's the only options. And it's very difficult for me to try to step away from wanting the same for my children because that's all I knew. And I know full well, particularly my eldest. He is he is a artist he's destined to do that and i'm still there thinking yes but you know the stability in the so that you know clearly in my head this is like a therapy session i'm finding <laughs> <laughs> i'm battling a lot in this path i'm battling so much on this path um and you just never know right whether you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing all you can do is just give them the love and the feed them well that's, that's what i, I can so. offer them i think so and i think that you know actually uh, you know mothers of four and seven and babies um, in particular. But I think four and seven, I remember feeling all that you're talking mm-hmm. about more when they were four and seven than at any other time. Am I doing it right? Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, you talk about the guilt and shame of pesto. My goodness, you know, <laughs> the guilt and shame of being a mother who might not be doing it right. It's extraordinary, isn't mm. it? How's your mum getting on with her matrescence? Because, you know, I'm talking to women of all ages and stages, and I don't think that be- learning to become a mother ever finishes. How's Mm-mm. she doing? I find my mum an absolute hero. I just think, you know, so she had us when she was very young. I think she entered the world of matrescence at 20, so very young. And, you know, there are three of us and we're nine years apart. And I think it was, I think it must have been incredibly tough for them. They, you know, they moved over. My mum moved with the three of us. My father was working. Um, uh, he's a doctor in the in, in the UK. And she was left initially with a lot of bringing the three of us up in a new country, um, I think it was incredibly tough for her. And, you know, Caribbean parents, as any Caribbean child will know, are super strict. Very, for, There's so much love. There's so much, you know, the biggest fans, harshest critic, but they're strict, you know. Yeah. So I remember, I, and this must have been a tricky thing for her, moving to a different country where children are brought up in a slightly different way and trying to bring three children up, three girls up, and being probably very scared of what's happening in this, you know, it's very different to Trinidad and the sort of more, you know, you walk to school. We couldn't walk to school where, where we were, where we could, but it's a very long walk. Um, but I look at her now and, you know, I, I, it's amazing how when you become a mother, how much you appreciate and you understand all of a sudden this sort of light switches on and you're like, ah, I get it now, mum. I really get it. And I speak to her and every day, you know, she'd say she's so proud of us and how incredibly tough it was, the whole journey and coming across to the UK and just bringing up children generally is, a, is it's, it's wonderful, but it's incredibly tough. And I think she's at this point of understanding and we're moving into a, into what, what I think a mother and daughter relationship of also friendship and understanding. And it's absolutely wonderful, you know, um, and I'm sure, you know, she's watching us raise children and she's great. She'll have suggestions, but she'll do it in a way that's not. Um, and probably she probably knows better. She's done it, had years and years of it, but she's very mindful of how she suggests it. And I'm sure in my teens, I, I never thought I'd say this. But I'm so grateful for her. I, I, I don't know from her perspective, but I would say that I think she's reached for me what I would hope to achieve at a stage with my children to have a relationship, a friendship and a mutual respect. And it is wonderful. It really is wonderful. And I'm extremely grateful. Thanks for listening. Do pop over to my Substack for much more each week throughout August on Matrescence from my superstar guests.